You've got mail. 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 Hey everyone, welcome to the Everything Email Podcast. I'm Corel Cooper, Senior Vice President of Account Management, and I'm joined by Ali Swerdlow, Vice President of Strategic Channel Partnerships at Live Intent. In this episode, Ali and I are talking to Jay Bear about data-driven content marketing and the power of email. Jay is the president of Convince and Convert, a digital marketing and customer experience consultancy specializing in strategic content marketing and social media for some of the world's biggest brands. Jay is a New York Times bestselling author and global industry thought leader. We are really excited to have Jay join us, so let's get right to the conversation. What is the formula for content marketing success as you see it? Well, I don't know that there is a perfect formula. It's going to vary based on company and industry and circumstance, but generally speaking, there are some things that you have to get right in order to succeed with content today. And those are, you have to have the right topic. You have to actually produce content that people care about, that, that they want to learn or they want to be entertained by. So topic is, is foremost, uh, the thing that, that is required in the, in the content marketing success formula. But you also have to have the right format. And I think this one is increasingly true, that people tend to consume content differently than they did yeah, even a short period ago. So in some cases, we've worked with corporate clients to convince and convert to take something that was previously a blog, for example, and turn it into a series of videos. And because you've changed the format, it succeeds more. Same thing with a podcast like this one. Uh, maybe this would work as a blog, but maybe it works better as a podcast, email the same way. Maybe uh, something that, that would have been handled uh, just as a web page would be better if it was an email course or an email series. So there's lots of different ways to change the format to give people the topics that they care about in a content modality that is right for them. And then the third piece is really the people. And this one is tricky because as content marketing has become more popular, in many organizations it has become common for non-professionals to be uh, sort of drafted to create content. So in a classic sense, uh, maybe you have a corporate blog and you want to try and get blog posts on occasion from subject matter experts in the organization. So you turn to somebody in R&D or finance or sales or operations or some related non-marketing discipline and you say to that person, person, uh, it's your turn to write a blog post. Well, can that person write a blog post? Of course they can. It's not rocket science. But will that person turn out a blog post or any other piece of content, infographic, video, podcast episode, that is truly spectacular, that's going to break through and create the kind of exposure that you really need? Probably not. So as content gets more and more competitive, we have to think, hey, are we putting people on the controls of content who are really, really good at content or just okay at content. How has, you know, you, you touched on um, the way uh, users consume content. You touched on uh, the way companies can get content uh, out there today, whether it be blogs, podcasts, so on and so forth. And then, you know, in today's world, you have, as, as you said, you have the professionals that create content. And then you have the non-professionals that create content. How has that played into sort of 
the, the challenges of getting users' attention with respect to the competition? Because everyone creates content now. Yeah, and I don't know that that you have to be a professional to get attention. I'm not suggesting that, but it probably gives you a better chance. I mean, the reality is that the content enterprise has changed a lot in the last couple of years now that it's gotten so competitive. Every company is creating content, and consequently, you have more competition for attention regardless of what it is that you're, that you're creating and talking about. And so it used to be, uh, and I used to talk about this a lot, that the content success formula was more about stringing together a lot of base hits, to use a baseball analogy, that this idea of trying to, quote, unquote, go viral was kind of a fool's errand, and that the best content creators were those that kind of had their nose to the grindstone and could create something of, of you know, modest success every day. That's not the case anymore. Uh, for a lot of reasons, consumer behavior trends, technology shifts, etc. Now, content success is much more about crafting hits, uh, big hits, home runs. Um, if you think about it from a music analog, um, you know, there used to be, not that long ago, a circumstance where when people purchased music, when people purchased music for that matter, uh, they would buy an album, right? And so the whole idea of being a musical artist was to create an album and sell an album. Now, of course, it's all about singles. It's about individual hits, having individual songs downloaded or streamed on Spotify, et cetera. And the same is true now in content marketing. It's not necessarily about having uh, people who, who visit your blog every day. It's about having that breakout, breakthrough podcast, that breakout, breakthrough video, that breakout, breakthrough ebook or webinar or some other piece of content. And so what you're shooting for today is a lot different than what you were trying to accomplish even a couple years ago. Jay, what brands do you think are achieving all of those, those big home runs right now? Well, because when you, when you think about, hey, home runs are, are, are what works, I'd say nobody is achieving home runs all the time, nor, nor could you. I mean, that's the whole point. Like, it's impossible. I mean, even the greatest music producers in the world don't turn out a hit every single time, uh, but just more than their contemporaries, right? That's what makes some people uh, better at it than others. But you look at, at brands like... Uh, GE, for example, General Electric has a ton of great content and a company that you would naturally assume would be good at it. They're great at it. Boeing uh, does a lot of really interesting uh, content. On the B2B side, a lot of the B2B tech organizations uh, are, are pretty good. And content Marketo uh, continues to be good at it. Uh, Oracle, which is an organization we do some work with, uh, continues to be good at it. So there's, there's lots of people who have um, circumstantial success, and ultimately, that's really all you can hope for. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we work, we do work closely also with Oracle and Marketo, so it's it's nice to hear you mention those folks. Yeah. So, um, what do you think about brands utilizing email to support and drive their content initiatives? Well, it's huge. I mean, in in, in some ways, email is more important than ever because we come from an era where. The whole idea of if you build it, they will come was kind of true, right? Where content was was sort of easy, that there's a lot of topics that were undercovered on the internet. And so you could create a blog or a blog post about something or a, a video series about something, and it would succeed because people hadn't done it before. Uh, there just wasn't as much competition. Now that there's overwhelming competition for every topic, the key in content marketing is not necessarily the content itself but in how you amplify the content, right? The people who are really good at this, 
not only are good at creating content, but they're good at getting people to know that that content exists. And that's where email is incredibly important and vital. I mean, we use email every single day in my organization to make sure that people know what content we created that day. We use social the same way. It becomes an amplification engine for your content marketing. And how can marketers leverage CRM data for content market, marketing strategies? Well, it's interesting that, that CRM and, and email in particular are sort of, uh, you know, the two sides of the same coin, right? It's, it's really the same um, circumstance. But the key thing is, look, let, let, me, let me say this in a different way. Every single marketer in the world, including me and including you guys, tells themselves the same lie. And the lie that they say, the lie they tell themselves at night is, the reason that didn't work is because our customers are too busy. They're just too busy to, to open the email or attend the webinar or listen to the podcast or watch the video or read the blog, and that is absolutely BS. It's not that they're too busy. It's that what you gave them is not relevant enough. Because if you give somebody the content they want in the format they prefer at the time they need it, they will read it, watch it, download it, listen to it. They will. And so if somebody says to you, I'm too busy, that's just code. They're just trying to let you down easy. What they really mean but do not say is what you have given me is not relevant enough for me to devote time to it. So relevancy is the killer app in marketing and in content marketing in particular. And how do you get more relevancy? With more data. By understanding your customers better. And that's why CRM is more important than ever. The more you know about your customers and the more you can take what you know and build it into content executions, email executions, et cetera, that treat customers as an individual, the more relevant what you give them becomes and the more it will succeed. This is a personalization, specialization arms race. And without CRM, I don't know how you possibly can win that game. Very true. Outside of the, the, the data piece uh, and the personalization piece, uh, what other things come to top of mind when you, when you think about the future of content marketing? Well, certainly from a, a format perspective, we're seeing huge changes, right? There, a new report just came out a couple months ago that said that on average, Americans spend 25 minutes per day reading and 72 minutes per day watching online video. Whoa, right? So yeah. if, you don't have a, if you don't have a video strategy right now, you got to go get one, like, yesterday, uh, because I don't care what industry you're in, uh, video is, is going to eventually become the dominant content format. It's just going to happen. Um, so, so that is certainly up top of mind for me and my team and our clients. Uh, also, really, well, it's not certainly in the future, but, but I think I'm still very, very bullish uh, over the midterm on podcasting um, shows like this one. I mean, the great thing about podcasts is that it is the only multitaskable content format. Right? You can listen to a podcast and drive. You can listen to a podcast and, and shovel snow. You can listen to a podcast and jog. Try, try you know, reading a blog post while you jog. Like, that <laughs> dog don't hunt. Like, that's not going to happen. Right? So, so as people, you know, people are not too busy to consume your content. That's a lie. But they are busy. Everybody's busy. Uh, and and we don't, we're not going to get less busy. And so the more that you can give people thought leadership and interesting information, that they can fit into their schedule while they're doing something else, and the better off you're going to be. And, and all the numbers bear that out. The most recent research from Edison uh, just came out just a 
three weeks ago about podcasting and says it grew, you know, another big chunk uh, over the last year. In fact, fun fact uh, for you, uh, 67 million Americans listen to at least one podcast per month. Uh, and that means that 24% of this country, ages 12 and up, listen to a podcast monthly. That is more people than are Catholic. So nobody ever says, hey, that Catholic thing is sort of a niche. That has no future. Uh, and, and so when people say, well, podcasting is just like this little nerdy corner of the universe, it's not true. Uh, it's big and getting bigger, especially in B2B. And my company uh, and I, we, pub- we kind of produce and publish a number of podcasts for uh, clients, for, for B2B companies in particular, who, who want to do shows and, and aren't exactly certain how to make it happen, and so we come in and help them do it. So as, you know, for the marketers listening, as these as these folks are putting together their marketing plans and thinking about the rest of the year and maybe adding additional features to their programs, what are some KPIs that they should pay attention to when it comes to measuring the success of their content initiatives? And, you know, particularly perhaps as, it, as they pertain to email, but, you know, their overall program. Sure. I mean, a clearly contribution to, to sales, ultimately, right, is that, you know, did somebody did somebody consume this, click on something, and, and eventually become a customer? I know that requires you, in some cases, unifying CRM with a sales database, and hopefully you're using the same thing, or at least you're talking to each other, but that's not always the case. So um, knowing what content you created and how it contributed to, to revenue is, of course, job one. But even within that concept, it's really important to understand how content contributes to customer renewals as well. And most organizations don't pay enough attention to that, uh, even though a vast majority of, of most uh, B2B companies' revenue comes from current customers renewing, they don't actually track content's contribution to renewal rate, and that's a huge missed opportunity. Uh, certainly, especially as we start getting into more and more multimedia content, um, paying a little bit more attention to overall consumption as opposed to top-level consumption is critical. So this is a meeting with my team today about making sure that we are tracking total time viewed uh, of videos as opposed to number of times the video was viewed, right? So how many minutes were consumed, not just how many views did you get. Things like that are, are really, uh, really important. On the email side, certainly the standard email metrics apply that we've worked with for a long, long time, opens and clicks and click to opens and things along those lines. But I think what's more interesting, especially when you start thinking about email from a pure CRM perspective, is starting to segment your audience by propensity to interact with the email, right? So, you know, if we're going to send four emails a month, I want to have a segment that shows me these people tend to open all four, these people tend to open three, these people tend to open two, these people tend to open one, and these people tend to open zero. And then I want to start giving each of those segments a different version of the email based on their propensity. Uh, that's, that's, I think, where we're headed, and that's the kind of metrics and, and then segmentation behavior that smart marketers are going to start employing more often. Thank you, Jay. We definitely enjoyed today's conversation, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. To our listeners, if you like this episode, do us a favor and share it with some friends and colleagues. To hear more from Jay, you can find him on Twitter and convinceandconvert.com. That's convinceandconvert.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.